and welcome to the Neurodivergent Musician Podcast. I'm your host, John Hart, and I'll be joined by a very special guest, John Shortale, where we'll be talking about supporting neurodivergent musicians. I'll let him introduce himself in a sec, but each episode is broken up into a traffic format where we'll share insights in the red section, improvise babble in the amber, and a recommendation or tip you might find handy in the green. So, John, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, man. It's, you know, I mean, obviously we've been communicating and we had the blog come out for Musicians Union, but it's always nice (laughs) to speak face to face. Uh, And as two neurodivergents as well. Uh, And for anyone (laughs) listening to this, I've had some guests on who are not neurodivergents and it's been very linear. These kind of conversations, you know, I get excited about because we can just go into, we were just saying before, we can go into so many different rabbit holes, but we can often end up apologizing to each other before we even go into it. Yeah. But actually, it's just like, it's so refreshing to be able to go, well, if I cut you up or you cut me up, that's part of the parcel. So there might be a, <laughs> we might have crossover conversations throughout it, but I just think that's just, that's just the yeah, natural way. Let's see where it goes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, John, just tell us about yourself and obviously MU and everything. Yeah. So, I'm head of equality, diversity, inclusion at the Musicians Union. I've been at the MU now, doing this job for five years, I think it is. So, my way expands for like four main areas properly. So, LGBT musicians, disabled musicians, and that includes neurodivergent musicians. I'll talk about that a little bit actually about why we do that because people always ask. But anyway, musicians who experience racism, and um, so our global majority musicians and women musicians as well. So, they're like my four main work areas. And then I look after um, the Safe Space Service, which is a reporting service for um, anyone who experiences sexual harassment or abuse in the music industry. And then cutting through all the work is like the socioeconomic perspective as well, because I don't think you can look at any of those four strands without considering yeah, socioeconomic yeah. impact as well, especially on something like music education. So that's kind of the bulk of what I do. And it stretches from work on policy to, like I was just telling you before we come on, yesterday I was in Parliament giving evidence to an oral inquiry on misogyny in music. Um, it's quite broad and wide-reaching, which is why I like the job and why I think it's good for someone who is not who right. because you do something different constantly, which is a blessing and a curse, really, isn't it? Isn't that neurodivergent? <laughs> it, it is, isn't sometimes. it? Sometimes. Like, sometimes you thrive off structure and sometimes you love it when there's a million things happening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I get that, that's a like a, a proper overview of what I do. And I've got a colleague who I work with as well called Diljeet, who works in my department and she's fantastic. So she supports me in everything I do. We support each other in everything we do. She's quite a new addition to the team. She's been here since October. Yeah, she's fantastic. Amazing. And I, I, I suppose uh, have... Has the department been in place since you started or was it in place like before, like sort of five years ago, or is this kind of relatively new thing that's kind of, you know? Um, it's, so it used to be in place, right? It used to be in place. So I used to work at the NU and I'd done a job that was education and equalities official. 
So it was like half and half. It was supposed to be half and half. But the education bit meant like a lot of casework, which right. is like reactive. So if cases are coming in from members, that's your priority. So the EDI work kind of weren't as robust as I wanted it to be. Let's say you never really got to spend as much time on it. And that was a real issue for me because that is obviously my passion and where I wanted my career to go. So I left and went and worked for another trade union doing EDI, just EDI as a full-time job. And then the MU made an EDI role full-time. So come back and interviewed for that. And then, yes, since I've been back five years ago, that was, I would say that was the start of the department, as it were, as we see it now, which was good because it was like starting from scratch. So in a way, we could make it whatever we wanted. We could really respond to what was happening right then in the music industry. But then at the same time, like, oh God, I wish someone would give me a steer on like where to start or what I'm supposed to be doing here. But no, it's going well. It's going well. Lots, lots to do, as you can imagine. I mean, the climate with, I mean, all the strands that you've been talking about there, I mean, I can imagine it's exploding in so many different yeah. areas all the time, which is amazing. Obviously, all the awareness is kicking in and and COVID, I'm, I can imagine COVID probably exploded a lot of things, especially mental health and uh, and especially neurodiversity and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all those areas. You know what? Well, I mean, it wasn't good for this, but COVID for me, right, kind of made everyone aware of the issues that underrepresented groups had. So when we look at um, Black and global majority communities, and remember that, that was big to report when mm-hmm. it was like COVID, COVID's what's the word I'm looking for? COVID's having a disproportionate impact on this community and suddenly people started to ask questions, well, why? What is it about this community that makes them more susceptible to COVID? And it was looking at like the working conditions, the housing conditions of each of the different communities. For me, it was like a good way to start having those conversations about, well, this was happening before COVID. It's only now we're discussing it because COVID's kind of laid it bare for us. Same with disabled community when disabled musicians have been saying, for an example, we could rehearse online because the space is inaccessible or something like that. And previous to COVID, people would be like, oh, I don't think we could rehearse online. I don't know whether it worked. Then comes COVID and we're all rehearsing online. Yeah. And it worked. I'm not saying it worked perfectly. No. It wasn't a good time for anyone, was it? But it can be done. So those conversations were interesting how quickly they opened up and how quickly we adapted to new ways of working. So what's the word? Kind of leveraging that. Yeah, to be like, okay, yeah. now we know it can be done. Let's look at how we refine it and how we use it for different communities and see if that can make the industry a bit more accessible. And in some ways it has, in some ways it's gone back to normal a bit, hasn't it? It has. And I think, I mean, like now, I mean, I, I don't know if I've done a podcast episode, if we would have turned up and done it in a room and just, you know, done a recording. But I think it forced, especially you know online communication and things as well it's forced the issue of we've got to get these things in place and mm-hmm. which has kind of obviously rolled the ball of so many other areas it's changed my job like significantly because i've yeah. kind of i'm not i'm not touring as much at the moment but i'm kind of trying to set up all the stuff at home but that having communications now and actually meeting people like like yourself over zoom it, i mean it's it's been a game changer in, in yeah. that area so I suppose did did you have a, a music background or was it more of a the the background in every other area that you were talking about? Yeah, so I changed as an actor. I went to the oh. Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, so we've done that for a while. And then I stopped well, I carried on a little bit and done a master's in sociology um over at Goldsmiths. Right. And was looking, <clears throat> excuse me, specifically at like political performance and underrepresented performance as like a force for political change. 
But instead of music, I looked at performance art just because I thought it was a really interesting medium and one that's kind of hasn't got the same conventions as, as different ones, uh, as different or, or, or other mediums. So that was kind of obviously I've always been interested in like equalities. Um, mm-hmm. As a gay guy, it's something that I've always been interested in and that kind of social movement for acceptance and, and equality. And then doing that MA really um, solidified what I wanted to do and where I wanted to work within the arts, but within an EDI role. That was where I found out I was neurodivergent when I was doing my masters. It wasn't until really? then. Yeah, yeah. So you were, I mean, and sorry, what was the masters in again? Sociology, really. It's got, oh, okay. it's got like a weird title. It was called like performance and culture, sociocultural perspective, something like that, something more academic talk, like what I didn't really talk like. But it, basically it was sociology, but looking at it through um, the lens of performance. And obviously in that, you know, how, how did how did you feel when you were doing that research, but then it's almost like you're re- researching something externally, but then you're having to then go into a research internally. Did you go into that kind of space of like, I'm now in internal research because learning out about neurodivergence and yeah. you know it's like i was dyslexic i was you know diagnosed dyslexic when i was back at uni but in my early 20s you're just like, oh, i don't care about that i just yeah. want to be music career and stuff as well obviously now a lot older it's just like right i want to figure out how to unlock whatever it is that's holding me back and all these other yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. but i don't know did did you did you have that process that experience where it's because it can be painful when you're like you just get get these discovery or get this awareness and then obviously getting the diagnosis and all this other stuff mm-hmm. i don't know yeah what was your experience of that you know what it made it made a lot of sense looking back at things if that yeah. Is clear. Like yeah, yeah when having the diagnosis for some people it's helpful for some people it's not for me it was helpful to understand potentially why i do things in a certain way but in classic nor- neurodivergent style it was like getting the diagnosis and then like oh okay then i'd hop on to the next thing for me so it was helpful and I got loads of support when I was doing my master's, which was a game changer because I would have failed that master's completely without that support. Yeah. So just simple things like how to structure an argument properly or when I think I'm talking and something's making sense and the other person's like, I'm struggling to pick out what your points are. They're there. You know what it's like, don't you? When it's mm-hmm. like someone can't catch the thread of your conversation, but to you, it makes perfect sense. So learning them, I guess, tricks or skills to be able to think, okay, is that the best way to explain stuff? All those things are very useful. I don't know. It feels like so long ago that I was doing it. Yeah, and I suppose it's it, you know dyslexia when it first, <laughs> when I first heard it, it, it was big, and then now it's just because of that it's just part of yeah. you know who I am, and uh, and I suppose these other things now come. But you're right when it's given me much more clarity into like oh wow okay you know I'm not sure if you know I had it when I was younger, especially <laughs> during school and things as well. You know there's always that sliding doors moments and what is and stuff but i don't think i've been able to achieve what i did had i you know had i not had it and all this other stuff as well so sort of leads on to uh supporting neurodivergent musicians with mu how has that process been and yeah well obviously when you started five years ago and where it is now at the moment yeah i mean when it started about five years ago the term weren't used as widely like neurodiverse people we'd talk about a specific 
impairment or so you'd say like oh dyslexia or or dyscalculia or adhd or whatever we were talking about but now it's become more like neurodivergence as that umbrella term hasn't it which i think is particularly useful if i'm honest with you and i don't know whether it's my own paranoia or whether i think there's a bit of both here right because when you say to someone so oh i've got adhd people have preconceived ideas about what someone with adhd that kind of it's like a a yeah you can see stigma even if it's Whatever. not conscious if it's like so they'll think certain things about a person with ADHD or, or dyslexia won't they when all those things might or might not be true of that person it, so you have individual traits don't you it's not like yeah, yeah. we all act the same or you all think the same it's a broad spectrum isn't it of like of things so generally that's why I'll say like I'm neurodiverse and won't be specific about what that means because it doesn't matter if I tell you I'm neurodiverse I guess all you need to know is the things I might need to do my job so I come from that perspective, like, yeah, I'm neurodiverse and I'm probably going to need extra time if you're asking me to do A, B or C, or if you're asking me to do anything with numbers, good luck, because um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it may as well be like, I don't know, um, hieroglyphics. It's like, do you know what I mean? But like, so I'll need extra support in these areas, but you don't necessarily need to understand what, what my impairment is to give me the support. Like, you know, broadly what I'm talking about is with the things I need. That it's the social, I guess it was the social model of disability thinking that got me more thinking of those lads. Where mm. it's like, oh, yeah, what we need to look at is the barriers, not necessarily what my impairment is. So, if we can talk about the barriers, that's more going to be more useful to me. That it's the I answered like, your question on again if I just went off on no, no, it, it's super because this is this is why I love, I love this because uh, it. My my mantra for this year was focus on my strengths, outsource my weaknesses, and yeah. and and not in a way that I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do any of that. No, no, no. I just mean I've been, like you said with numbers, I've been plugging away for years and years and years, and it's just not getting any better. Or you know, there's some areas and stuff as well, and some of the neurodivergence can creatively work around it. Yeah, yeah. It's exhausting. It, it yeah. then it then flows into other all my strengths. If I'm not able. If I'm focusing so much on my weaknesses, and then when I get around to my strengths, I'm just like I'm just too exhausted yeah, to do this. Then, you, then there's no productivity, and there's you know. Yeah. And so, I suppose it's explaining to people like that. It's just like, look, I'm not, I'm not rubbish. I'm not incompetent. A lot of things as well. I just not very good at that. And uh, I, you know, I think if you kind of go out and you're like. Uh, you know, some people can be all rounders. Some people can do yeah. all of these things and stuff as well. It's just like, I just, you know, and I, I suppose it takes that process. It takes that strength to be able to go. Do you know what? I just, I just can't. But um, yeah, I run my own business. Sometimes you're like, you want to be in an environment in the workplace where you feel comfortable, don't yeah. you? And there's not. That's not always the case, is it? Like we find that a lot where it's like it's not really a culture where you can disclose. So you'll find musicians, especially, just getting their heads down. I'm really struggling in some cases. Mm-hmm. And we're saying to them, you should be asking for what you need. We can help you ask you for what you need. But I completely understand that you're not always in that situation where you feel able to. That's a massive issue, I think, for the music industry is that culture of disclosure through, through disability more broadly, not just neurodiversity, like creating those spaces where you're able to ask for what you need because you've got a disability, because you're disabled or you've got an impairment. Yeah, it doesn't always happen. Sorry, you asked me about support at the end. No, do you know what? No, no, no. But it's like, the only way I got support is I went through crises, and I was like, okay. it, it got to the crisis point. And it's such a, you know, uh, I mean, 
I mean, there's a generational thing, but there's such a musician way of just like, no, no, it's fine. I'll just keep going. I'll keep touring. I'll keep going and going and going and going and going. Oh, I won't go to the doctors now. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Keep calm and carry on until it cracks and then it smashes. And then you're just like, crap. Uh, If I'd done this 10 years ago, could I have avoided this? But I mean, you know, I'm trying to see sort of somewhat of the positive side of, oh, I've now gone into the ground. Now I'm starting to build back up. But I think with the support, especially the MU, um, I've seen, you know, I speak to a lot of my music mates and they just, they have no awareness that it's there. That if they are struggling, the struggle also in in the music industry, is almost, it's like a badge of honor of like a, 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 not a badge of honor, but like a a thing you carry around. It's like, oh, it's just the norm. Yeah, it's just a struggle. It's just part of the norm. And... I uh, yeah. I, um, have you found a lot more musicians in the last few years have come to the MU for help? Yeah, hundred percent. Because people are getting the language and the confidence to be able to talk about it a lot more. Um, so this is the reason why um, I guess we're having this conversation today is because of that, isn't it? Because people are being more open about what they need to do the jobs, and I love that. Um, and we'll always support people to be able to do that. Um, so. The support that we offer for neurodivergent musicians specifically, uh, we've been doing bits, and we, but we've known that we've needed to build it because anecdotally, I know from speaking to our members, we've got a high percentage of members who are neurodiverse and there's research that supports that from like um, AFEM with Tristan Hunt has done research on this and we've got research coming soon from the musician census that will have data on neurodiversity on. So I'll share that with you when, when, it's, when it's published. Well, basically, we've been having these conversations for a while. Um, we had a members conference last October, and it was completely dedicated to equality, diversity, inclusion. And one of the sessions was on neurodiversity. It was a member on our executive committee, Anna, who was really pushing for it as a neurodiverse person. She was like, right, we need to do more about this. So she was really pushing that session. So we were like, yeah, of course, let's do this. So we got Dr. Tony Lloyd from ADHD Foundation was part of the session, and Tristan Hunt, who we've just mentioned, who's an... ADHD coach working in the music industry specifically. And he's worked in the music industry for years. He's a lovely guy, fantastic at what he does. So they ran the session and the sessions were all designed to be like, okay, let's talk about issues. But we have half session on issue and half issue on uh, and half the session on action. So here's the problem, but what are we going to do about it? Because that's what I like. And I don't know if you find this being non-diverse, I love it when someone gives me like a direct thing to do rather than talks around an issue. It's like this is the issue, this is what I want to do about it. That's music to my ears. Or when someone sends me an email in bullet points perfect for me because i can just say exactly what you want me to do without speaking in your language exactly and also they've taken the time because most of the time we have to we have to adapt to the neurotypical world which is obviously a huge percentage if we we've been living in this neurotypical world for for years and years and years and having to adapt to the language having to adapt Mm -hmm. to certain things when you're right when someone sends that email or in a way where it's just like oh my goodness this is you're you are you're allowing me to unmask here and just be able yeah. to just relax rather than it you know put the mask back on carry on as it yeah, is yeah, yeah. and i suppose and, and that's the the coping mechanisms i suppose that we you know we're gradually building out and the awareness mm-hmm. of it's okay i mean i've been using things like chat gpt and things about but because and, and ai and a lot of people are fearful for it but i'm like this is for me, it's an incredible neurodivergent tool because mm-hmm. I 
I struggle to send emails and I could be sitting there for ages, but if it's like revise this, do it, do it really quickly or something, it allows me to communicate to a neuro, neurotypical without me coming across as convoluted yeah. and all over the place. Yeah. But when I do speak to someone else who's neuro, neurodiverse, it's just like, no, it's fine. I'm just going to send it as it is. You know, everything will be all over the place. But, but they'll get it. We're, we're, on, we're, we're on the same. Yeah, way. it's true, isn't it? It's funny, though, because uh, like, you can kind of tell as well sometimes, can't you? Um, I know from email and other neurodiverse people, and sometimes I'll apologize and be like, don't apologize. This is fine for me. And it's like, oh, like you've just said, it's you feel a bit more relaxed then, don't you? Because you're like, oh, it's fine. They're not going to be like spotting every spelling mistake or a comma's not in the right place. Or they won't think I'm being short with them. They kind of understand like I'm just being direct because this is the easiest way for me to communicate. I'm not being short or funny with you or anything. But you literally get in my brain thinking in an email, yeah. which is just quicker, isn't it? But the members conference come out with these actions and there was multiple, multiple actions for us to look at. But the one big one was to create a neurodiversity hub. So the MU would become like kind of a central place for where our members and, and the wider music community could go to to get bits of advice on neurodiversity. So whether that was you as a neurodiverse musician yourself or you were working with neurodiverse musicians or teaching neurodiverse musicians. So we thought that, okay, so that's the first action that we're going to do because that space doesn't really exist in the industry at the moment. Yeah, There's bits yeah, like everywhere, yeah, but yeah. we can pull them together through the MU. So that's what we're working on currently. We've been working on it for a while and the hub will have um, like advice on routes to diagnosis, uh, managing neurodiverse burnout, the lived experience kind of blog pieces like the one that you've done for us. So people can begin to understand what it's kind of like to be neurodiverse or for other neurodiverse people reading them to think like, oh my God, that's so reflective of my lived experience. And then signposting as well. So to other resources that exist out there. And uh, we've done a lot of work with Dr. Tony Lloyd from the ADHD Foundation. We've done a series of four workshops on like introduction to neurodiversity and they've covered a range of topics. So they'll be accessible on the hub as well. And that's kind of what we're starting with. And then we're going to build it out from there. So looking at specific aspects of neurodiversity. And like I said, there's advice that Tristan's put together for us on working with neurodiverse musicians and how we manage that in a kind of, or how we accommodate people, manage is probably the wrong word. How we look at reasonable adjustments that are going to work in, in environments where musicians work, because it's not going to be the same if you, if you like me, if you're working in an office. In a way, it's quite easier, isn't it? Yeah. If you go to a different venue all the time and you haven't got your, you know, you've either got sensory overload, you've got social overload, you yeah. haven't got your environment. And the only, again, I was speaking to a neurodivergent musician last night and he said, the, you know, the only safe place that we feel every time is when we get up on stage, because we've got our guitars, we've got our instruments, we then got our sort of the same sort of setup in any country, in any place that we can go to but we don't have that in the other environment and then transport yeah. and, and, and other areas or, or when you're driving or, or whatever it is. And if, if you're not able to manage those areas, then when it comes to performance time, that's what you're there for. And you've been affected so much within a few hours before, whatever it is, yeah. it, it is, it is detriment. And I kind of sort of, you know, and I'm, I'm loosely sort of looking into it as well. And I think this is the the awareness and research into it of if there is neurodivergent musicians, it's like, what is there, is there blockages? And I can't, I don't have the science and I don't have, you know, maybe it's a degree that I've got to go. I'm in an unofficial degree at the moment of, of doing it, but um, there's of like, 
is that sometimes, especially for neurodivergent musicians, you know, that blockage that's holding you back, you know, that internal chaos, is that affecting your external progress? Yes. And I think, I mean, you know, obviously you're speaking to Foundation and and Tristan as well, who I know is, is, is amazing. And I think it's those things, like, like you said, creating that hub. And eventually if there's like things that, neurodivergent musicians very niche but if they can all come together yeah it's like oh wow i'm in a room of just the same people where we're talking like this yeah yeah so powerful because we have a network you know like uh, uh, back to what point i said earlier uh, the disabled members network that meet regularly online and they're a group of disabled musicians who are mu members who meet dead casual space you don't have to be like elected or not and anyone who identifies as disabled can come and I'll go back to why it includes neurodiversity as well, and just talk about anything like issues that impact as a musician, issues more broadly, and there'll be a member there taking notes, and then they feed it back to me, and then we look at it with our equality, diversity, inclusion committee, and pick out the bits that they want us to work on, and see what we can do, and um, if DMU can do anything about them, and it really, it's those networks have been a game changer in, in terms of like maybe we would never have heard about this issue unless someone turned up to a network meeting and was like, you know what, yeah. and then other people will be like. <clears throat> Oh, that's a common thread, but I just kind of put up with it. Things that you don't need to be putting up with, but we wouldn't necessarily know about it. And we include neurodiversity under that banner because what we're trying to do with that is like the way we've got the LGBT community with lots of different identities under that banner. But for us, disabled is a really powerful word in terms of social change. Mm. So again, going back to that social model, it's looking at, well, we're only disabled by the things that are put in place. What can we do to remove those barriers? And neurodiversity for us falls under that banner. And we think that more powerful under that banner of disability in having those conversations. I know a lot of neurodiverse people wouldn't necessarily identify as, as disabled. So we need, when we're talking about it, we're always saying that includes neurodiverse people too, because we think we've got more power when we're talking about collectively about the barriers that prevent us doing our jobs yeah, or prevent yeah. us accessing spaces as a collective community. Of course, within that, there's space to talk about the specifics. So we'll have like blind musicians who have got specific needs that are going to be totally different to wheelchair users or to neurodivergent musicians. But collectively, essentially what the issue is, is the barriers, isn't it? And having that conversation. And again, I'm not acquainting experience of disabled musicians. What I am saying is collectively, I think we're gonna be it's gonna be easier to make change if there's more of us having that conversation and understanding each other's barriers. Does that make sense? That and I think and that's sort of that relative where hurdles is the main that's yes. whether it's physical or <laughs> mental, mental hurdles, you know, that is what is stopping me you you know everyone else in that circle from being able to you know progress or to be able to achieve what we what we want to do and what maybe others are and i mean i don't i I can't put it down to you know oh is it my neurodivergence that's stopping me from achieving x y and z i don't know i don't know that but i think there's that's a fascinating rabbit hole i mean i'm going into that rabbit hole discovery <laughs> and but using that hub and people communicating with each other and and reflecting in different ways i mean even if it is like you know someone who's neurodivergent and someone who is uh, in a wheelchair you know what can we what can we go and tell venues what can we yeah, do yeah. this 
that can just accommodate to all of this. That like solidarity thing as well, isn't yeah, it? It's like yeah. we like we're not experiencing the same barriers, but we're experiencing barriers. And if we're together in that conversation, that's a really powerful message, isn't it? Yeah. Like we've got we and through that network we we develop an access rider. Our disabled members were saying like we're not ever asked about access requirements when we're booking gigs or when we're working in studios or whatever environment that you're working in. And it's really difficult for us to communicate our access requirements. So the disabled members network was like, let's create an access rider. So it's a familiar kind of format that musicians use and that people who book musicians use. And it's just one place, a living, breathing document where you can put all your access requirements down, send them when you're booked and open up that conversation. And that's been really interesting in terms of venues have contacted us and just say, oh, like we obviously are part of the MU. We've been going out to people and said, we'd love you to implement this as part of your booking process. Whenever you book musicians, if you're sending them contracts, send them an access rider and they'll either send it back or they won't if they don't need to. And some some festivals have just been like that straight away. Oh, this is a brilliant idea. And just start using it. There's about six or seven now that are using it. And we're in conversations with others to get it implemented. And venues as well as like, you know what, it's such an easy thing to do. Because from the um, musician's point of view, I mean, especially, you know, I, I, I can only speak from neurodivergence. It's not something I'd even mention because there's such a sensitive, and then you kind of, you get RSD, obviously, like rejection sensitive disorder, mm-hmm. if they go no, and then you then start, you're not, you're, you're not just questioning, you're, you're questioning yourself, you're questioning yourself as a musician, you're turning up going, oh, <laughs> cra-, you know, and I suppose that, is you know again it's that kind of oh i'm just gonna just gonna struggle on the way here or whatever yeah, it is, yeah. until i get that little hour on stage and then i come off and i struggle again and things and it's kind of you know that's nice that like breaking down those barriers but for venues to be able to just go boom and it feel like this sort of immediate communication where it's just like acceptance it's just it like, is, isn't it? it's a feeling of like what why is this <laughs> why has that never been like like why has that never been the norm if it's like that quick but you're right it's just sometimes it takes these things just to open out and the communication and and well, the awareness that's why I'm of it as well. like festivals and venues proactively asking about it and attitude and everything have got an amazing campaign and they talk about our access right, rider in okay. it um, called just ask and it's exactly that it's about people promoters right. venues festival just asking have you got any access requirements as a standard part of the conversation because like you've just said that's transformational isn't it like to just for someone to just say have you got any access requirements and you to be able to imagine how much more comfortable you feel to be like yeah actually if you could meet me half an hour before the gig just to take me through a b and c half an hour extra because it could be something as simple as that. Or like one of our blind musicians is like, I just need you to meet me an hour before, I need an hour extra time. So you can take me around the venue and make sure like I'm comfortable where everything is. And that's it. It's, yeah. it's literally that straightforward. That is, to me, if that was implemented across the in- industry, I think that would be a game changer. Sometimes I think people are scared about access requirements because they think, oh, people are going to be asking for... Well, that's you think you're going to get immediate judgment or you're going to get like, yeah. sort of like, oh, he's getting like um extra uh, whatever it is you're getting yeah. something extra from what you're doing and we're you know it's even when someone asks you so how much do you charge i mean as as a neurodivergent brain it's just like ah, oh, i don't i don't know i just want to play music and i know i've got to do this business stuff so you're already in that kind of psychological battle with yeah. those things let alone 
you know, I mean, I'm, you know, oh, I've got to get the car right. I've got to get pressure. I've got to go do. And you're doing all of these things. You turn up to a venue that's just like sensory overload, and you go into a green room with other musicians, and you're just like, oh, I can't. I, I, I don't know how to do this. And then at the end of it, you're just so exhausted. Yeah. This is what I I, I used to do touring, and then I'm, I've had to stop because I kind of just couldn't, you know. I know other musicians, and again, um, who I was speaking to last night, he has someone who manages all of the logistics. So he goes in the taxi and then he goes here and everything as well. Mm. If you don't have that, yeah. then you're managing all those other areas. So when you come to the venue and you've got to then put on that mask to be able to communicate with the venue manager, communicate with the sound guy and not come across as disconnected to yeah. everybody, and then having to go to a merch stand or, or whatever it is, it could be a music conference. It could be all of these things to be able to start to break down those barriers and start to just feel yourself. Uh, you know, it's, it is incredibly transformative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that feeling of like, if I go and turn up in a room full of neurodivergent people, we're all going to turn up completely nervous. But as soon as we meet each other, it's like oh yeah. wow you know but that's amazing that's amazing so and those things are starting to they how long has that been rolling out now for venues and like two years maybe is the okay. access rider we've got to do loads more work around it to be honest I, eventually i want to do a campaign around it where we're like actively um lobbying organizations venues festivals to do it in a much more proactive way. Now we're doing it like as and when I'm having conversations with people or venues or festivals I find out about it via our members. We've got this amazing member, Andrew, Andrew Lansley, who proper pushes the access rider. He's brilliant and talking about its benefits. To be honest, he talks about it way better than I do. He's amazing, Andrew. So members will start doing it because they can see the benefit benefits of it for other members to have that in place as well, not just for themselves. But we've got loads more ways to do on that, definitely. I'm really grateful to Attitude as everything for including it in part of their training. Because um, obviously they do that specifically, don't they? Whereas, as we were saying at the beginning, my work's broader than, yeah, than yeah. disability or neurodivergent. But in addition to that as well, we because I always like to be like, right, we've got to practice what we preach. So I can't be asking organisations to do stuff. Because imagine them turning around and like, well, does the MU do this? And I'm like, mm, no, it doesn't look very good, does it? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. internally we're looking at like reviewing the processes not just for, for, for members, so looking at our meetings, looking at what we ask members to do when they're looking for legal advice and assistance, for example, and working through that to make sure that's as accessible as possible as well. So taking out any unnecessary steps. So stuff like form filling, I struggle with loads. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? Uh, I, that's what I, I've been trying to fill in stuff. Like I think I mentioned to you about grants and stuff as well, music yes. grants. And like, I know there's others, you know, help musicians and things as well, but and they've got like videos and stuff as well, but still it's like a, there's a huge blockage even before mm-hmm. I go and sign up to that application form of like, I'm going into a rabbit hole here and it's going to be incredibly stressful and anxiety mm-hmm. because I'm like, because I, I just, you just don't know. Like, and, and also if you get a no, the massive rejection sort of stuff that yeah. comes in. So you're like, you want to do your best, but I, I suppose it's stuff like that. And like you said, with forms with other things, whether it's policy, whether it's contracts, whether it's, there is so much that would just be skimmed. 
Yeah. And then you just don't know what you're signing up for, or what you're getting. So it's true. Oh, look, can we do this in a different format? Is there different ways we can do it? That's what we're really looking at. Because I'd hate to think that someone needed legal advice, let's say, and then that, and we sent them the forms to fill in, and they were like, like I just can't cope with that on top of the situation yeah. that I need legal yeah. advice for as well. Like, don't get me wrong, I'll fill in the form, but when someone sends me a form, you might get this, I'll start sweating and already start thinking, oh, my God. Like, I, did, I, start when I was doing the, the funds, I think, after the crisis, and this was post-crisis as well, so I was obviously in even more of a mess. But I was just like, trying to, I had to get all my financials or whatever it was. I was like, oh, this is, I'm like, this, <laughs> ah, I just felt like I was, you know, internally sinking. Uh, it does feel like that completely. And then you're like, oh, no, I'll, just, I'll go and do Even... something else. Oh, I'll go, I've got to go and do this. I've got to go, yeah, yeah, I've got yeah. to go and iron my clothes. I'm not, I've never, I never really iron my clothes, but That's it's just like, exactly it's what the avoidant thing. It's, Even um, in forms that you fill in, this made me laugh to, to get an ADHD screening when you've got to get like, you get you fill like forms in about like your behaviors, don't you? And ask you questions about your behaviors, but you've got to write. So the questions, yes or no, obviously fine. You, it's not a problem. It's the boxes underneath that ask you to explain it. But it does it loads, and it was making me laugh that I was doing it, and then I was trying to find anything not to do it. But it was like this is actually for your ADHD diagnosis, but your ADHD is <laughs> actually doing the a form. vicious cycle. Of- and I just remember keep writing on some of them. Can't remember. Can't remember. I've asked them to like. I did. I've done that for the autistic ones. I was like, (laughs) "Why?" Like it was seventy to eighty questions. I was just like, "No, I don't know. Not sure. Not sure. Not sure." I'm like, "I can't delve into that. My brain will not allow me to focus on that." For you know, you know, and what I'm going to say. So with forms and everything as well, because I was learning something about visual learners and things, especially with the dyslexia. And I suppose that's what comes down with forms and things. I, I sometimes like those forms. And I don't know if you like this, where it's got one question per page. Yeah. Do you ever get on with those ones? Yeah, because it's just so simple it's, and straightforward and you know what you're really, doing. Yeah. <laughs> that, if that was for every, you know, and some of them cut out and they don't save. And that is incredibly frustrating when you've got yeah. to redo the whole thing. But that, it's like it's something like that, or it's more colorful. Cause I was saying to someone the other day with me, being a musician, when you go and learn to learn, a, you know, a musical instrument, you are put, you know, music's so colorful, but you're given notation, which is black and white. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, this is why some can't read music properly. So it's the same with forms. You're like, you're giving something that's black and white that doesn't, doesn't yeah. fit with a colorful brain. Yeah and a visual brain and so it is the same with like if there's forms if there's some sort of thing that's like colorful it's like animated or it's gamification or whatever it is that makes it feel like there's a dopamine hit yeah by the end of this and i well, you think- get you all know this it's like you like we said before there's certain things that you go that's so policy if someone's asking me to research and write a policy i love that because it's like i know i get like and that sounds like i'm a proper nerd doesn't it but i don't know <laughs> I love it because it's like, you know, I wish you could switch hyper-focus on, but then at the times where I'll be like, right, and that's all I think about and can like knock the policy out dead quick because it's like, I love anything like that. But yeah, an application form that would be much simpler because it, I don't need to do any research. It's just me answering the questions and take me forever. We'll probably remain unfinished, to be quite honest, <laughs> because I'll just be like, there's no way I'm getting through that. Like it took me days to do that ADHD one. It was like, 
whoever designed this form probably hasn't got ADHD. I, 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 uh, I was the same. I was like, why? What? This is so back. Like it's so backward. And and I don't know if you've I've seen. You probably haven't. But the autistic one, so the no. ADHD one is. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember how many pages it is. It's not even that long, to be honest. Right. The, yeah, it's probably the, about like twenty questions right. or something like that. And the autism one is eighty questions. Wow. I, I was just, and it's got big old like boxes for everything and stuff as well. And even my wife, who's got to fill out the other side of it, she's just like, "This is this is ridiculous. Why yeah. why is it geared towards like this?" I'm like, if it had, like you said, a question every single page, one line, you know, and I could be whatever convoluted and things as well. Because there's a fear of like. Hang on a minute, I'm filling an ADHD form here, but I want to be convoluted. But am I gonna if I if I make it look like it's like professional, are they gonna question no, I'm not doing it? I'm like, ah, why is he like, doing the same shut down. Yeah, it's just like, you, on the ADHD one, you get your me, me partner, my boyfriend had to fill out one about my behaviors and stuff. I'd said no to. He was like, Yeah. Like it was really? like, does he forget things all the time? And I put no to it. And he was like, are you joking? Like, by the minute, you're going to be, where's my phone? Where's my card? Where's my keys? Like, where you just leave them all around? There's things like that where you don't really clock at yourself, isn't it? But he did even say, he was like, God, like, it's it's quite long, isn't it? It's the boxes underneath where it's like, giving an example. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, well, I feel like I can give you loads of examples, but then when I'm coming to actually do it, I can't think of one example that I can give you to support what I'm saying. But I had that where it was like, if I, if I do this, properly are they going to think why is he filming this for me it's, it's weird when you start questioning yourself isn't it and start you're like you've like, got two or three people like you invisible people around you just kind of like oh this and this is why it's so i remember trying to write dissertations or essays when i was at uni and i just could never just could never get started and it's mm -hmm. just like oh how you know how do you do this how do you just start to get the ball rolling and things and that i think you know going through our conversation and obviously supporting musicians i think it's all of those things that are holding us back from because funding is a massive thing obviously yeah. in our industry there's a lot of us why we drop off and we go into different careers and some who i've met you know older musicians who have gone into different career like finance whatever it is and they've gone i wish i wish i wish i didn't i met one old guy and i was just kind of like he said to me i wish I did. and ever since i saw him i was like right no I'm not jumping ship. Yeah. I'm going to try and see, do whatever I can. But like, I, I, I'm doing things. I'm having to learn about marketing and sales and all this icky stuff that I'm not, I'm a musician, but I'm having to learn all this, which yeah. is natural. But I feel there is blockages that are like, you know, I can't sell to other people because it's just, there's, there's a huge blockage there. And I feel those blockages are in, like you said, forms. So I'm not, I would, I need the, you know, the money to be able to do a project, but it's almost like my brain's sabotaging itself because I'm, I can't fill in the form. Yeah. And, and it's like that, I think, is where a lot of us are just like, we're just suffering unnecessarily. And it's not necessarily with neurodivergent brain. I just think, but what we're doing in these conversations, hopefully, and the more we're sort of awareness and you're building the hub which is an amazing thing because my goal with this was like, i want to build up a little community of neurodivergent musicians yeah. but if it's all and then it's geared towards the mu you know neurodivergent hub it all sounds like we're all like connecting together and i think that's one of our like inequalities in the music industry one of our biggest things is there's loads of pockets of great work going on 
mm. but we're not connected enough about the great work. Like, don't get me wrong, the industry's got loads of issues, but there are people doing amazing work and making progress, but we don't necessarily know about them. So when we do start to join up like this, it's amazing, isn't it? Because it's like one feeds into the other and you find out about someone doing this project over there that would really help you and how can you replicate that? So that sharing and kind of building a community is something we want to do loads more of, definitely. Because um, like the, the, you know, your, your top music industry, <laughs> musicians who have brought out documentaries we obviously mm-hmm. video documentaries and stuff and talking about their mental health and everything as well it, it does feel ever so slowly things are just starting to sort of connect and you know especially i mean i know there's lines of you know working musician to to the to the top whatever percentage of mm-hmm. musicians who are out there doing the massive stuff but I think just the more we're opening up about it and obviously mental health can seep into other things in your diversity and like you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, there's some musicians who would be like, no, no, I'm just going to carry on doing it and things like that. And that's like, well, fine. Keep, keep yeah. doing what you want to do. But I think the more we keep banging on the door, the more we just keep moving it as, as much as we can just, yeah. It, I think it'd just be better for all of us. It would just give us yeah. a little bit of light just that just take off the weights so and then i feel as well like if i can take off the weights my music will be able to get better my my creativity will be able to flow a lot more without this crushing kind of weight that i've got to financially be dependent you know for my family and all these other stuff so it's um yeah man i i think it's, it's slowly like unlocking certain things and i'm talking from like the chronicles of the journey from undiagnosed to diagnose and all these other stuff yeah and i think um yeah yeah my convoluted way of talking no, no, i get exactly what you're saying it is it's the, and it is those those extra well they're not extra because you've got to do them but it, it just feels like an extra thing doesn't it when you're not really uh, doing the thing that you really want to do because you've got to do a b c d e before you even get to do the yeah. thing that you want yeah. to do and then there must be easier ways to do it, an easier way but to, to have do it. I think the key thing is with the hub, with other things that are going on, to know now that we have that support network. Yeah. That I think that's where we're now we're like, you know, I can pop an email or we can go and join a little group once a week or what whatever it is, because it's so niche. I can go and join a neurodivergent group, but and I can obviously talk about personal life, but I'm like this is really specific neurodivergent musician or you know yeah. or the hub and stuff as well like yeah. it's really geared to exactly you know like we're talking about tristan it's just like you know and i was like he's geared exactly like adhd and uh you know music industry it's just like oh wow what a perfect yeah. fit hey, and it, that sort of thing i think is going to it's going to change man it's going to it's going to flip and the snowball is going to go So I suppose, I mean, recommendation or advice. I mean, we've gone through a lot of stuff anyway, mm-hmm. but yeah, or, or final thoughts. Final thoughts. Obviously, if you're a musician, I'd say join the MU because where you are having problems, getting reasonable adjustments or talking about access requirements, and that's just one part of the membership. They're all things that we can help you with. And obviously there's a whole other host of benefits, but in terms of this conversation, that's where I think we're particularly useful. 
because you know what it's like about being a freelancer and you don't really want to raise your head above the parapet and say like oh this isn't working for me or whatever that's what we're there for so we can when we're talking about that like collective action we've got like a membership of over thirty three thousand musicians to be able to say well our members are telling us this we need things to change for me that's a good like one of the best bits about belonging to a trade union it's like we are the voice on your behalf so you're not going to suffer those consequences if we can have an industry-wide conversation and in um, about certain aspects of musicians' lives. That's a really powerful thing, apart from like all the insurances and all the other like dead obvious things that you get. But the community and collective action elements of it, I think that's where the benefit is for me, being part of a trade union. And I've got to say, I've been an MU member for, I don't know, since <laughs> I feel like in the 2000s. I can't remember. It's been for a long time. But I never, it's one of those that, you know, it comes out of it and stuff and it was like okay i've got the mu but i'm not using i'm not, yeah. not saying using i'm not making the most making of the MU. yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of musicians i think we've done it and things as well but what i suppose obviously joining the mu what would you say to those ones who have been now existing members for so long but they just it's almost like they've forgotten it's there or they're not actually using yeah the the service because i only started you know since the crisis and i was like i'm like right i've got to get in contact with the guys and then and then actually it's opened up so many relationships so many more communications i'm like yeah. what why why have i just been suffering and and this thing's been cut like you know i've had this here this support network but i've just been on my own i feel and that's a musician's mentality isn't it a lot yeah. especially solo musicians you're like oh no i'm on my own got to do everything myself i, don't, I can't even get any advice so, yeah, yeah, and you can get all, all the advice from us. And, like, obviously, if, if we don't know it, we've got, like, the lawyers and the legal team will be able to get you that, that specialised legal advice. But, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because people all join for a specific reason, usually, whether that's, like, if they need legal advice, yeah. they'll join because they're having an issue. Or if they need, if they want the insurance, they'll join for that, or the PLI certificate, or whatever the benefit is that attracts them. And I think a lot of people join for that one thing, and that's it. And like you've just said, that's that's something you've done. But then we started emailing each other. I can't remember why now, but then then it opened up a whole different conversation, didn't it? Which is how we've ended up here today. There's loads of ways you can get involved. So, so there's those networks. What if you belong to any of those groups like LGBT, Black and Global and Jolly's musicians, disabled or women musicians? I'd definitely join one of them and just come along and see what you think it's like. There's committees, which aren't dead old-fashioned, but they're way more interesting than, like... Because when you think of a trade union committee, I think there's a certain image that you think of, it, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, they're not always, like, that and they're interesting, and they'll be for, like, either regional committees or the section committees, so for, like, education, recording, broadcasting, gigging, live musicians, theatre. So every sector of, kind of, the industry all come to conferences. Like, the EDI conference was amazing. That was such a, a good conference. Full on, but good. And we've got another conference coming up in... July, that's like our policy-making conference, MU Delegate Conference. So there's tons of ways that you can get involved. But I would just say, even if you don't think it's something that we know about or we can help, I'd still just drop us a line to see. Like, people contact me and go, do you know anyone who organises this for this group of musicians? And generally, someone in our organisation will and be able to put you in touch with them. Or if we don't know someone, we'll know someone that will be able to put you in touch yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. So just even little things like that, like... Again, I, it I, I just, I, just I was asking questions. I was like, I, I'm thinking about, I want to maybe go and do this or another thing as well. And it's it's to bounce off certain things yeah. where you're like, you could be on Google or wherever it is. You could just be online for hours and hours and hours and hours because you're just like, I, I, I'm going down a rabbit hole here and I have 
don't know really what I'm doing. Whereas you go and speak to your sales and yeah. to the professionals and it's just like an instant email and you're like, oh my goodness, that was... Well, like you emailed me about research, I think it was. And Dilsey mentioned earlier, yeah. she's a, a, a professional researcher in Musa. So it's like, well, I'm, I won't know, but Dilsey's on there if research exists or she'll know about it. So do you know what I mean? It's like, it's those things, isn't it? Yeah, Where, yeah. Because it'll, it'll take us, it'll take me a minute to ask Dilsey what you've asked me. And then she'll be able to go, yeah or no. So yeah, I just always get in touch and ask us. And again, it's about building that relationship with us as well. I think people feel more comfortable about using the membership and getting the most out of it when yeah, you've had like an interaction with someone and it's been positive. Definitely. definitely. And I think, yeah, especially that personalised, because, uh, you know, not that I didn't have it, I just don't think I ever inquired about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's the thing as well. And just kind of like opening up those channels and be able to talk about it. And then obviously... <laughs> like like this like it's just led naturally onto things and it will you know build and build and build and i'm kind of like mate like i've got so many musicians mates you know i've uh you know i have one guy who injured his arm and things as well and he knew i went through certain uh companies and things and he's reached out and he's just like mate i didn't you know i've, I've been with <laughs> signed up for years and years yeah. i didn't even know this existed i didn't know i could get this advice and stuff well. like, mate, like your benefits. get the money's get your money is worth i'll see you membership hundred percent I would. And then we've got all the range of like learning opportunities for you as well and skill development. So there's all kinds like negotiating tax, which obviously I would never go to a tax workshop, but I know for musicians, <laughs> it's super important. I, I, I went to one. I think I went to one years and years ago. So oh, um, when I first started, I think it was in my first week. You were like, I'm going to see one of the, the workshops that we do, and it was a, a tax one. I was like, oh my God, I'm not through this. But you know, because you're new in the job, you're just like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, worst nightmare. But I mean, I know it's super useful for musicians. Um, I don't know, there's a whole range. I would say, check out all those opportunities, check out the network opportunities, and see what you think. And again, if there's something that you think, uh, oh, this would be really useful, then generally it's going to be useful to more musicians than just you. So you can drop your regional office alarm with ideas things that you like to see us doing we won't always be able to do them but it's definitely worth you put it in a suggestion that. box or whatever you know that sort of stuff as well brilliant john man man what a wonderful conversation in such oh, a thank you. I, I think also we as new as neurodivergence we talk so fast so we can condense it down to an <laughs> yeah. hour which is always an amazing thing or if we're out in a pub it could be three hours of like different <laughs> things but uh mate so so wonderful to to connect with you you know on a you know, oh, and face you. to face and stuff as well and uh yeah this uh, i don't know when this episode will be out but i'll be editing soon but uh yeah thank you so much man Oh, thank you. It's been lovely. Actually, that what a nice way to, to spend the afternoon. But yeah, yeah let me know when it's out. I'd, I'd love to see it. Definitely, definitely. Brilliant. Nice one, time. Cheers, fella. Have a great Cheers one. Soon. Cheers, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.